I was so excited, and I just we're already looking forward to next year. So uh, we've seen it happen at other churches. It almost doubles in size. So we need to get ready. All right. Well, let me do this. Let me jump right into the message. Today, like Pastor Denny said, begins a new series, The Greatest Commandment, Loving God, Loving Myself, and Loving Others. So this morning I'm going to begin a new series, or begin this series by talking about the first part, and that's loving God. So turn with me in your Bible over to Matthew chapter 22. This is the main scripture for the entire series. It's the base. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse uh, 34. Matthew 22, starting at verse 34, says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. So can if you just could imagine that you have 600 and some laws, right? Isn't that what the Pharisees, Sadducees ended up putting together out to try to help support the, the Ten Commandments. They came up with 600 and some more. Hey, this is how we're going to help support and be able to abide by those ten. He said out of all of them, all that hangs on this. So if you can get this, everything else takes care of itself. So today, when we focus on the first part, it seriously is the first part. You have to get this, and everything else hangs on that, and that's loving God. Again, in verse 37, Jesus replied to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Matthew Henry's commentary on this verse says, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Some make these to signify one and the same thing. To love God with all of our powers. Others distinguish them, the heart, the soul, and the mind, as the will, the affections, and the understanding. Or vital, sensitive, and intellectual faculties. Our love of God must be a sincere love. And not in word and tongue only. It must be a strong love. We must love him in the most intense degree as we must praise him. So we must love him with all that is within us, according to Psalms 103. It must be a singular and superior love. We must love him more than anything else. This way, the stream of our affections, everything then flows from this. The heart must be united to God in love. It must not be a divided heart. All our love is too little to bestow upon him, and therefore all the powers of the soul, the heart, the mind, must be engaged together. And carried out toward him. This is the first and the greatest commandment. For the obedience to this is the 
spring of obedience to all the rest. Again, there it is. Which is then only acceptable when it flows from this superior love. As Christians, living disciples of God, everything must flow from this. It must be first. It has to come first. It must be superior to all else. You must not have a divided heart. If it's not, then we are just following a set of rules, hoping that all of our good things will outweigh, well, those bad things. Human rules will not bring about the righteousness God desires. As a matter of fact, the old saying says that rules without relationship will always result in rebellion. And we try, don't we try? I mean, we've all been there at some point in our life. We'll just do all the right things. God, help me do all the right things. I just want to do this. I want to do and it. And you think, I'm, I'm doing good, doing good. And then all of a sudden, one little thing happens, and it's like it's all over the off the grid. I'm done. I'm wiped out. Because we don't establish the foundation, the first thing first. It's got to come from a heart. I mean, how many are married? Have you ever said anything to your spouse that you regretted later? Have you ever did something that you then were um, enlightened into that might not have been the right thing to do? Oh, no, don't. I, I don't want to embarrass you, Pastor Neil. But then do we just wallow in it? We're a horrible person. We're a horrible person. It's all over. We're done. I'm going to get the divorce papers. It's over. I did the wrong thing. No. Because it's based on love. And I'm going to mess up. We all know that. As a matter of fact, I think more pastors need to write that in the vows. You will mess up. I will mess up. I will wake up on the wrong side of the bed one of these days. But love me enough to be forgiven. And I'll love you enough to be committed to keep going, keep loving, keep striving. Because it comes from here first. It has to come from the heart first. Because if you just try to do, 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 and do, when you don't, you're all done. And you think that's it. If we are not living in this extreme love relationship with God, we will pick and choose the commands that we will follow and toss out the other ones that we think are, well, they're just kind of too hard. As if this love relationship we have with God is a buffet of selfish choices. Well, God, I know your word says, but I think I'm just going to... You know... I mean, I use this illustration so much. You can't look at your spouse and say, I can love you on Thursday nights and Sunday mornings, but the rest of the week is mine. And it's all about me. And I'll seek my own enjoyment. I'll seek my own pleasure. I'll seek my own will. But I want you here with me Thursday nights and Sundays. And, oh, I'll leave you a list every now and then of what I want you to do for me. You know, love covenant with God is more superior than your love covenant that you're supposed to have with your spouse. Loving God is more than coming to church once a week, setting for an hour and a half. It's more than rattling off a long list of needs in our prayer time. It's more than a get-out-of-jail-free card. It must be a love covenant covenant bought purchased and sealed in the blood of Jesus a vow a love vow to stay wholly committed to him in sickness and in health for richer for poorer do any of you remember those vows as married couples 
to love and to cherish all the days of my life. This is my solemn vow. Jesus said in verse 38, this is the first and the greatest commandment. This is the first thing we must get right. Everything else will then flow from this. You don't have to work at being a Christian. If you tend to get burned out, you've heard of people saying, you know, I'm just doing too much in the church. I feel burned out. I just need to relax. And you're doing it all wrong. You're trying to do, 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 do instead of you letting it come from your heart. I mean, I've counseled many couples. I've sat in counseling for our marriage. And when you hear the spouse say, well, I'm always doing this, I'm always doing this, I'm always doing this, and, and he doesn't do or, or she doesn't do, when you start counting how much you're doing and how much somebody else isn't doing, you're doing it wrong. Could you imagine as a parent saying, Jacob, I fed you two times this week. That's enough. You get no more food. Because I'm always making your meals. I'm not going to make your meals anymore. Could you imagine saying that to a baby? You're crying three times a night. I'm sick of it. Get your own food. You know? When we start counting how much we're doing or somebody else is not doing, you're doing it all wrong. Because if it's coming out of that love covenant, that love vow, it, there's no record keeping. There's no record of wrong. I mean, we can go ahead and preach 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love chapter. There is no record of wrong. It's, it's selfless. Love is selfless. It's not self-seeking. It honors the other person, lifts up the other person. It wants to... Help the other. You know, it's all about loving out of that love. Loving God correctly as the first and the greatest will manifest in these three ways. Here it is, three points in a prayer, right? Really, I, am not, I don't try to do this. I think this really does come from heaven. Three points in a prayer. I heard one pastor say it's three points in a poem. Brenda, what happened? I said, I'd rather pray than read a poem. Three points in a prayer. Remorse, repentance, and resolution. That love vow, that love covenant, these three things will manifest itself. Remorse, repentance, and resolution. Let's look at that real quick. Remorse is a deep sorrow when hurting the loving Father. Remorse is not regret. Regret says, I'm sorry I got caught. I regretted that action. Remorse is not condemnation. Remorse is the response of conviction. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Let me explain that real quick. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. An internal remorse for hurting a loving father that brings about a need for action. See, regret is just a feeling, I got caught, I'm sorry. Oh, well. Remorse that comes from conviction brings about that I've hurt the heart of the father and I have to not do this again. It, it brings about, it, it, it leads us to, I can't do this again. I can't hurt. You ever hurt somebody physically, see the pain in their face, and think within yourself, I can't ever let this happen again. That's remorse. That's a conviction that brings about, it, it brings about an action. It's got to happen. Condemnation doesn't just say, I did wrong. It points its finger at you and says, you are wrong. It plays off from pride. If I am the problem, then I'm the one that needs to fix it. And since we as humans are incapable of fixing ourselves, we then 
fall into this circle, this cycle of self-condemnation. I'm horrible. I'm a worm. I can't ever do right. I don't ever do right. I'm always messing up. I'm always this. I'm always this. I'm never that. I'm never this. That's condemnation. That's not conviction. In Romans 7, Paul shared the secret to the correct response to conviction when he shared the battle that takes place within us all. He called it the law at work within us. Right? The spirit within us wants to do right. But then this flesh gets in the way and it wants to do what's wrong. It likes to do what's wrong. So there's this war inside of us that I want to do what's right but then by the time I get there something happens and I do what's wrong and so in chapter 7 he's trying to explain this and but then he tells us the secret here to the correct response when when the Holy Spirit comes on us and conviction comes in and we talked about this I think yesterday or the day before with the family that it's like a little finger just a gentle little tap that the Holy Spirit goes, <clears throat> and immediately you know exactly what it is. It seems like, I remember asking God a couple days ago, can we just deal with one thing a week? You know, I know I'm not perfect. Dear Lord, I know I'm not perfect. But can we slow down a little bit? And, just, and it's not like, because I was telling the family, I said, it seems like I'm getting spanked a lot. And then I went home and God says, really, do I spank you? I'm like, well, this kind of feels like it. When you tap me, when I know, like right now, I, you know, and again, I don't want to, no, I don't want to say anything because then you'll say, well, then that's how we need to act. It's not about, when God taps you on the shoulder and says, <clears throat> maybe you shouldn't say that or, Maybe you shouldn't think that. Or you know how you just reacted to that? It's just a gentle tap. So when that gentle tap comes and you're like, oh, it's the same thing. Why do I keep struggling with? Here Paul explains the secret of how we need to respond to that conviction when that gentle tap comes on our shoulder. He cries out in verses 24 and 25, oh, what a wretched man that I am. And I do, I mean, I, oh, you've seen it as parents and when you have to confront one of your kids. And they're like, ah. Paul cried out, oh, what a wretched man that I am. He saw, oh, there it is again, Lord. And he cries out, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? See, when we have a correct response to conviction, that remorse, it turns the light on and opens us up for truth, freedom that will come. And that's where he was able to cry out, I thank God. I thank God through Jesus Christ. Who can deliver me? I thank God that it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who can deliver you? Who can forgive you? Who can set you free? Who can bring life to your dry bones, dead bones? I thank God that it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Andrew Murray elaborated on these verses of Paul. He said, why should you feel this remorse whenever you commit sin? When that Holy Spirit conviction comes on you. Because it is when a man is brought to this confession that deliverance is at hand. See, again, the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation says, I'm wrong. I'm awful. I'm horrible. I need to go fix myself. But when we cry out like Paul does, oh, what a wretched man I am, we open ourselves up to who can deliver us? Who can keep me from messing up again? Thank God. It's in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, remember, it is not only the sense of being helpless that made him wretched, but it was above all the sense of sinning against God. There's the real remorse. 
It's not that you are trying to do good to be good so everybody can see how good you are. It's because you're trying to please the heart of God. You want to do good because you know all that it cost him for you to live free. And the relationship that you have with him. You know that. So when you do mess up, when that finger does tap you on the shoulder, that you can then say, God, I've sinned who? Against you. You, God. But it's you. It's through you that I can receive victory and forgiveness. The law was doing its work, making sin exceedingly sinful in Paul's sight right here. Paul, listen to me. Yeah, Paul. The thought of continually grieving God became utterly unbearable. It was this that brought forth the piercing cry, Oh, what a wretched man that I am. As long as we talk and reason about our weaknesses and our sin and only try to make excuses for them, the Word of God will profit us little. But when once every sin gives new intensity to the sense of our wretchedness, and we feel our whole state as one of not only helplessness, but actual exceedingly sinfulness. We shall be pressed not only to ask who shall deliver us from this body, from this death, but we'll be able to cry, thank God, it's through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Remorse brought about by the loving hand of our Father, will lead to repentance. Again, when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, bum, 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 a deep sorrow for hurting a loving Father, it brings about a need for action, and that's the next part, repentance. Correct response to conviction is remorse. When you cry out in remorse, to a loving God, I hurt your heart. I sinned against you. Oh, what a wretched man I am without you. It leads to repentance. It leads to what you need to do next. So let's look at that. Repentance is a turning away from. Turning away from whatever that tap, tap, tap thing was. Might have been an action. It might have been a thought might have been a word, might have been something hidden deep in the recesses of your heart. Might have been something that just happened. It might have been something that happened years ago. But when that tap, tap, tap comes, that right response, that remorse comes, the repentance is, God, here it is. There it is. You put your finger on it. Here it is. God, I lay it before you. Repenting means I'm not even going to look at it anymore. I'm turning away from it and not just turning away from it. Repentance means I'll grab a hold of God. I turn away from that and grab a hold of God. I'll take your word, all your word in me, on me. I need you. There's that crying out. A commitment. Of myself to God. To have remorse without repentance does not lead to forgiveness. Remorse must have repentance in order to gain forgiveness. Mark 1 4, and so it says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, we can all feel remorse. I could sit right now and start naming some things and watch your heads bow down in shame. Not remorse. In shame. There's a difference again. Remorse knows that it hurt the heart of the Father and it calls for an action, repentance, turning away from and cleaving to God. Confession belongs to repentance and is needed for divine forgiveness. 
I've heard people say when I'm praying for them, God, you know what it is I did. Yeah, he does. So why hide it? He knows. You're like, I've had people come up to me and whisper, and I'm like, why are we whispering? Nobody else is around. Like, well, I don't want God to hear. God knows. God knows. And it doesn't matter because I could sit here and have a, a sling some hash back and forth if you want to tell me your garbage. I can tell you some garbage I've done. But that's not what it's about. Confession means when your mouth says what you're confessing, your ears hear, there's faith that's built up in there. I'm confessing this. God, I turn from, I'm repenting from this. Your ears are hearing this and your ears will be your own witness. Oh, you remember when, because when you start, oh, no one's here. I think I'm going to see what's on TV and you start scanning the channels. Your ears are your witness to that and it will bring about this little tap. Hey, I, I, I thought you repented of that. You know, last night before you went to bed, you, you pray. I heard you prayed. You repented of that. What, what are you doing back here again? Your ears, when you speak, when you confess, your ears will be your own witness to your commitment. To repent involves obedience to God's revealed will. Placing your trust in him, turning away from all evil and ungodliness, and turning, cleaving to God. Cleaving to God. I want you to turn over to 1 John chapter 1. I want us to read a few verses here. And let me remind you that everything that's in the Bible, let me just say this. It's everything God wanted in the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, do you, don't you believe that God's big enough to not have let it come in the Bible? This is his holy word, written holy. He has everything he wants you and I to have in here. All right, so when I say this next thing, it's not like, you know, man's in control of what was in the Bible. Man did their best. And I don't have time to go into all the details of how intricate the translations had to be. But man tried to help us by putting chapters and verse numbers in there. Again, for our sake, to help us in, in remembering and uh, mem you know, memorizing and going to. Could you imagine if there was no chapters? We said, turn to John. Well, where at in John? Well, page uh, 10, 12. You know? So they're there to help us. But when you're reading the Bible, don't stop at those chapters. Continue the context of the thought of the author to be able to gain the real meaning of what they're trying to say. So I want us to look at 1 John Chapter 1, starting at verse 5, and we're going to read through chapter 2, verse 5. So starting at verse 5 of chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, there it is again, confess, verbal confession, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Continue reading chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you 
I write this, what I just said, I'm writing this to you, so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Here it is, verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, the love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Remember, we spoke about this a couple weeks ago. The two words, believe and do, are not, were never supposed to be separate meanings. Believe and do go together. If you say you believe it, it means you do it. You don't say you believe something, but don't do it. That, that's a divided heart. So he's saying right now, if you say you love me, then you're going to do what I command. Repentance says, if I say I'm not going to do this anymore, guess what? I'm not going to do this anymore. If you believe Jesus forgives all your sin then what are you doing still mentioning it? Once you confess it, once somebody comes to you and asks you for forgiveness, and you say, I forgive you, it's done, it's erased, it's gone. Only, only the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren, should be picking up that dead sin and shaking it in your face. That's his job. It's not your job. Your job is to forgive as Jesus forgave you. And if we say we believe that he forgives our all of our sin, then we better start acting like it. We better start living like it. We better start doing what we believe. Repentance means I turn away from and I cleave to. Loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Love for God is truly made complete when all three are in action. When working together, listen to this, here it is. When working together, your actions will follow without any struggle. Because see, most people read those verses there and say, if I do, okay, so I got to do, okay, so I, I can't even say I love God if I don't do, so I need to do, 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 and then that's how I prove I love God. It's backwards. It's I'm committed to God. I love God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and then my actions flow out of that. I, I do because I love. You don't love or you can't prove your love because you do. It's backwards. You're going to waste away. You're going to get tired. It's going to be a checklist of, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'm tired of it. It's not working. I'm out of here. You've heard people say that, haven't you? I've heard them say that. I remember getting into an argument with God. Of course, I'm the one yelling. He's not. He's just sitting there. When I heard one more pastor say that they just need time off. I need time. I'm just really, I'm burned out. I'm, you know, I'm just going to time. And I kept hearing these leaders like bailing. And I went up and closed myself in my prayer room. And I'm like, it's not fair, God. How come everybody else gets to bail? I don't feel that. I feel such a grip on my life by God's grace that I can't. I can't. I can't. There's just no way. Sure, I have bad. Come on. We all have bad days. We all get tired. 
But it's just not an option because I feel this grip of God's grace. And you know what? The light finally went on. That Jesus said, remember the prostitute at his feet around the table and she's bawling and crying and wiping his feet with her tears and her hair and they're like, do you even know what kind of person's at your feet? He said, you know, those that have been forgiven much love much. So if you have a pro if you don't feel that grip of grace inside you that keeps you going, that releases these actions that you don't even have to think about. I don't have to think about doing this or doing that for God or, or his commands because it just comes from there. You need to go back to love. Find out what it is, God. Something's happened here. I don't want to be one of the Pharisees, Sadducees, or even one of his own disciples pointing at the prostitute at his feet saying, come on, compose yourself there, woman. I want to be the, <laughs> the snot and crying, uncontrollable, God, you've given me way more grace than I could have ever asked for. Because, oh, what a wretched man I am. But thanks be to God. The struggle comes when you try to go through the actions, try to obey his word without first loving God completely with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then the last one is a resolution. A resolution. A resolution is a holy commitment that restrains us from harmful appetites. There it is. That Paul talked about that. There's harmful appetites in us all. I mean, like the McDonald's analogy that Pastor Neil, yeah, yeah. I hate. I mean, I looked over at my boys and I said, he's talking about McDonald's. I'm getting hungry. And I'm sorry, Denny, but I don't always have an appetite for the healthy. He, When we were having life groups at our house, he was so encouraging to me. You know, that's a commitment he's made to God to eat the things that he eats and chews. He's used, he uses that as a commitment to God, which is great. I mean, I remember being friends with uh, one of my youth leaders when I was youth pastoring in Traverse City, and we were there well over a year. I just thought he was a vegetarian. Just thought he was because, you know, health reasons, whatever. Until one day he came over, and I went the extra mile, for you that know that you know my family isn't big veggie people, and I made a vegetarian lasagna for him. And we were, and I warned the kids to, you're going to eat it with a smile on your face. Because we're not going to make him feel uncomfortable. We're going to eat what he, and blah, blah, blah. And he sat down there, and I was so excited. And he's like, oh, I broke my fast yesterday, and I could have meat. Like, call the cow and steaks on the grill. No, I'm, no, I didn't. I'm like, what? It was a fast this whole time? Year-long fast? But a resolution, let me just tell you, is a holy commitment that restrains some harmful appetites within us. Remorse, brought by the Holy Spirit, leads to repentance, turning us from our sin to our Heavenly Father, then sets us up for a resolution. Now, how are we going to keep this covenant, this love covenant? I've, like I've said, I've counseled many, and I go out, going back to a marriage because we're talking about a love covenant. But I've even counseled couples through adultery, which is hard. It's a hard one, but it can happen. God hates divorce. And as a matter of fact, when, when I counsel couples, you know, and I have to admit that was a biggie for me too, um, that we are, were all adulterers. And our love covenant with God, at one time, one of us, all of us, went our own way, did our own thing. That's adultery. So when I'm talking to these individuals, trying to help them work through that, for that person that committed adultery, 
I challenge them, you need to set some resolution. Because you've done the remorse. You've done the repentance. Now what's the resolution? What are some steps you're going to give to help keep this from happening again? Now if it started with a, a phone conversation, how committed are you to this resolution? To keeping your love covenant. You might have to put the phone down. If it was at the coffee shop on Saturdays that this person that you got attached to was hanging out, um, how about you go home the opposite way around that cafe? That resolution sets boundaries that keeps you far from that thing that you've repented of. Uh, bring it back to the TV thing. Um, if it's, uh, you can't help, but when you get, you know, sitting down and the families all went to bed and you're, you're just wanting to relax and unwind and that TV channel just kind of pops up on your TV, what are you doing staying up anymore? Go to bed when your family goes to bed. That's a resolution to restrain those unhealthy appetites. That I'm going to put up boundaries so I'm not going to get anywhere close to that. My decisions to do or not do things are based on my love relationship that I have with God. So my do's and don'ts list is not because I'm trying to do good. Remember, again, that's upside down. It's about my love relationship with God and I don't want to hurt his heart again. So I've already repented of that thing. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set resolution. I'm going to set boundaries that are going to keep me far from that. My skin is very sensitive to products. I found out, I mean, years I struggled with, I feel like an info commercial right now. For years I struggled with acne. Um, but my face breaking out constantly. And as a, you know, grown woman, you're like, come on, you know. Well, found out, and I really believe it was through a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit that it was this certain product that I kept using and kept using. It's like, you know, even the dermatologist is like, yes, that's it. You need to, you know, and finally I'm like, you know, I'm just stripping away everything and start trying this little thing and then start trying this little thing. Finally found the, the one makeup I can use and the one lotion I can use that doesn't upset my skin. Now, I don't sit there and curse my skin. I curse you, skin, because you won't let me use all these other wonderful products. I mean, ladies back a few years ago were having all these parties where they're, like, doing all these fun masks and makeup things. And I'm like, yeah, don't touch me with that stuff, you know? So I just stopped going. I don't curse my skin. My skirt. Oh, I can't ever, you know, no. Why? Because I like the results of having clear skin. I don't mind staying in those boundaries. I don't walk through the makeup aisle saying, oh, I wish I could spend all my money on that or all my money on that. I'm like, I'm okay, Lord. I like clear skin. I'm just going to. That's boundaries that I've set because of the results I want. Same thing with when you're teaching a toddler what's hot. You usually use the stove, right? Now, do you take that little toddler's hand and get it two inches away from that open flame and say, look at how close you can get, Johnny? Without getting burnt. No. Child and family services will be called on you. No. They start to come anywhere close into the kitchen while you're cooking. You're like, stop. Hot. Stove hot. No. Stop that. Right? When you're teaching them and they're outside and playing, do you take them all the way up to the edge of the road and, and the car is whizzing by at 55 miles an hour and say, see, you can play right here in the ditch. Cars, won't, they're right there. You can play. No. You're like, let's go to the backyard. Right? Stay way away from there. Why? See, the kids scream, you're just trying to keep me from something fun. Right? And you're saying, no, I love you so much. I don't want you to get hurt. So could you please just stay way away from that? 
That's healthy boundaries. The whole word of God is set up with healthy boundaries that are not a list of do's and don'ts. Again, upside down when you look at it that way. It's God loves you so much. He set up healthy boundaries for you. And you need to set up healthy boundaries when you repent from something that I'm not even going to go anywhere near that. I'm not going to hang on the edge of it. I mean, I'm not. I was an alcoholic. So for me to sip a glass of wine is stupid. Why would I want to get anywhere close to the thing that God delivered me from? That's, that's just, sorry, bad word, just popped through my mind. Oh, Lord, help me. It's just a word that people say that describe that situation that I don't, it just wouldn't sound right coming from the pulpit. But anyway, I don't want to go anywhere near it. Nowhere near it. I remember when I first gave my heart back to the Lord and Brian and I was new married and I wanted to lead my sister to the Lord so bad because, I mean, that was the party scene that I stepped out of. And so Brian and I would go over to her trailer, her and her boyfriend, that they lived together at that time. And just all we knew to do was this was the word of God and we were taught that the spoken word of God speaks life, breaks bondages, heals people. I still believe that. And so we just sat at her table and would just start reading the Bible. They're sitting on the couch getting high. We're getting a contact buzz from them getting high, but we're reading the Word. And finally God said, that's enough. And I was a new Christian, and I closed, and I said, come on, Brian. And we stood up at the door, open. and Kira's like, what, where are you going? Because <laughs> they were mocking us and stuff. Reading, And I love my sister, don't judge her. It's her birthday yesterday, right? It's her birthday yesterday. And I turned around, and by the unction of the Holy Spirit, all the boldness and power of the Holy Spirit, and I wish I could remember exact words, but I told her, I love you enough that I'm not going to stay here and mock the Word of God. But I love you enough that I will grab you by the hair of your head and snatch you from the very fires of hell and drag you back to the altar of God. Because we were raised in church. We knew better. But we went our own way. And I said, I love you enough that I'm going to fight you, but I won't come back here and mock God's word any longer and sit here and get high, basically, from the contact buzz. It was that Thanksgiving. It was a couple months later that we were at my parents' house, and she came up to me, and she goes, what you said never stopped ringing in my ears ever since you left. A couple months had went by, never stopped. And she said, all I could do was picture myself burning in hell. And so I was able to lead her back to the Lord and, of course, you know, the whole living together thing and separate. And God just totally, I mean, look at her today. You know, we're both, thank the Lord. You know, I was able to lead my parents back to the Lord. So it's, I don't even know where I was going with all that stuff, but, hey, that was that was a freebie. Eh. But healthy boundaries, oh, healthy boundaries. Sitting there, God might move us toward an area and people are saying, okay, you know, like for some people, sitting in a, and I'm talking bar bar, I'm talking about 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the morning, to me that's bar bar time. You know, there's no dinner going on at 10 o'clock at night, it's just drinking time. So for me to sit in a bar bar between 10 and 2 in the morning, it is just nothing good. My grandma D always used to say, nothing good happens after 10 o'clock at night. So for me, I'll stay way away from there. Now I'll go, if it's a good burger and I'm meeting friends and, you know, anyway, boundaries. I'm talking about healthy boundaries you need to set up in your life. I choose not to do this or that because of the love. Again, we're talking about loving God more than you want to do this or that. So here's the real issue. You will not restrain your appetites for one you do not love. Loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul will restrain our appetite for things that would grieve His heart. 
or are harmful to our relationship. And again, in, when I'm counseling married couples, if I start talking about a resolution to, you know, put up some healthy boundaries, if they start pitching a fit about the boundaries, there's no real love left. Because real love, again, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is selfless. It's whatever it takes to stay in this love covenant. I'll do. So if this makes you uncomfortable, I just won't do this anymore. I mean, I, I was talking to a couple and they're like, you know, he always does this one thing and it drives me crazy. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with the one thing I do. I'm, there, I'm not thinking nothing. I'm not doing it. There's nothing wrong. I said, but it hurts her when you do this. You know, if Brian came to me and said, Brenda, I love you so much, but it hurts my heart every time. And don't you dare do it. Put salt on your food. It hurts my heart. Is putting salt on my food wrong? Am I going to go to hell for putting salt on my food? Don't answer that. I know you, Anna. You probably say yes. Will it? No. Is there something? Am I doing it? Ha, 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 Brian. Ha, ha, ha. No. But if he came to me and said, it hurts my heart when you do this, for me to keep doing it means there is no real love left for that individual. Because a real love relationship will set up healthy boundaries. It will restrain those unhealthy appetites. It's If I have to choose this or you, I will always choose you. And that's how we need to look at God. God, loving God. With all our heart, mind, and soul. Means if God says there's a healthy boundary I have for you to do this or not do this. It's not about, ooh, but I wanted to do this. It's about God, I trust you. I trust you. When we start pointing our finger at the thing and not at ourselves, we're in trouble. When we start pointing our finger at others, well, she does it, well, he does it, and not at ourselves, we're in trouble. When we start pointing our finger at God and saying, why are you telling me I can't do this or I can't do that? Instead of pointing our finger at our broken relationship, we're in trouble. So in closing... So subtle. Again, we started with Matthew 22. Again, this is the basis for this entire series. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I want to close with giving you two warnings. Maybe that would have been a more subtle. Okay. I'm working on it. I want to give you two warnings that Jesus gave to the church in Revelations. To the church. In Revelations chapter 2, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Those couple verses warn us about this greatest commandment. He said, you have forsaken the love you had at first. 
the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And he said, I have this against you. You have forsaken that first love. He goes on to say, consider how you have fallen. Where's that remorse? Consider, oh, what a wretched man I am. You're right, God. Boy, I think coming to church every Sunday and every Thursday night and reading my Bible every day and praying every day is good enough. He said, I've got this against you. What happened to our love relationship? Consider how far you've fallen. And then he goes on to say, repent. But he doesn't just say repent. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. Again, I give that same advice to couples when I'm counseling them. Consider how far you've fallen. Remember your first love. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and start doing the things you did out of that love at first. Not doing to prove your love, but loving and then doing will prove your love. It's time to stop playing Christian. The Full Life Study Bible says to claim the name Christian means that Christ and His Word, His revealed Word in Scripture, has become your supreme authority and your only source for future hope. This is it. It's not your belief of what this says. It's not your interpretation of what this says. It's not brother so-and-so on the internet or sister so-and-so from another mother that said this or that that this says it's supposed to say. It's this. Read in its context. True understanding comes when you open this up and ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight into the revealed Word of God. That he says he will take the very deep secrets of God and reveal them to you. But if you try to study this like you do a, a textbook, you're still missing it. This is my supreme authority. I'm a Christian because this is the word of God and it's my supreme authority. The second warning as I close is in Revelation 3. He says, now to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write these. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. Boy, I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth, God says. You say, but I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need anything. You do not realize how wretched you are. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And put salve on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, God says, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. And here it is. People use this scripture for salvation, like calling somebody in who's not a Christian. But this, in its context, is to the church, to the Christians. And Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. We've shut Jesus out of his very own house. And he says, I'm standing at the closed door of the church knocking. Will you let me in? See, we want to open up our heart and let Jesus in. And then we, boom, shut it down. And say, now I can take it from here. And he says, I'm standing outside the door. I'm still knocking. Hey, open those doors back up. 
This wasn't a one-time visit. This is a fellowship I want to have with you, a lifelong love commitment with you. I've got so much more, but you need to open your heart and let me in. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Christ's invitation is spoken from outside the door of the church, outside the door of our heart. And his request is for fellowship with us. And all we have to do is repent of our lukewarm living. Plain Christian. God is calling us to a love covenant with him. Remorse, repentance, and resolution will manifest itself through that love relationship. So can I have everybody stand as we close? I want to pray for you today. At some point in this message, maybe you saw yourself wide open right there. Oh, Brenda, you just said it. That's me. Maybe you're caught in that cycle, that circle of self-condemnation. I keep messing up. I keep messing up. I think I can fix it. I need to fix it because it's my fault. I keep doing this. God did not send his son to die for you to fix yourself. Stop trying to. The only way that it can be fixed is if it's confessed and asked for forgiveness and then cry out, oh, what a wretched man I am. But who can save me? Jesus. Thank God, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus can set me free. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've been playing Christian way too long. You didn't even realize it. thought I was being good. I thought I was doing it all right. But when I read that scripture, God said, return to your first love. See how far you've fallen. Repent and start doing. You felt that little tap. That's you. That's you. Or you could be in here today and you've never really made a real commitment to Jesus. You've never never even asked to begin this love covenant. Or maybe right now you walked in here and you're in the act of adultery. In this holy love relationship with God. You're, You're off doing your own thing, but something for some reason brought you in here. Let me tell you, it was God. He's constantly calling you back, calling you home. He's constantly reaching out his hand. I have more for you. I love you. Come back, come back, come back. Today's your day. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, any one of those items were you and you said, yes, Brenda, that's me. I need to ask God. Let me first ask you, if you need to ask God to be the leader and Lord of your life, to begin a new love relationship with him, I only want to see whose hand. I want to pray with you. Just raise your hand so just I can see. I want to pray with you. Yeah. Yeah. If that's you today and you say, I've fallen from that first love, I need to return to that first love. Raise your hand so I can see. I see your hands. You're feeling that tap. I see your hand. God's saying, return to that first love. God, you see the hearts, you see the hands, you know the individuals. So God, right now, by your Holy Spirit, begin to just speak to them. And if you feel this way, and and I urge you to confess out loud with your mouth, forget about the person to your left or to your right or around you at all, and confess with your mouth those things that you believe Jesus is putting his finger on, the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on, And speak it out loud. I confess, God, for this, that I've been thinking this thought, or I've been doing this act, or I'm doing whatever it is that he's putting his finger on. Confess it right now. Because it takes that remorse. It takes that confession to lead to repentance that leads to forgiveness. And then before you leave today, I want you to take a step of resolution. That you'll put up 
healthy boundaries in your life to keep you far away from those things that have drawn your heart away from God. God, right now, I pray for everyone that's here today. Lord, that you would give them a single heart, completely undivided, completely holy in love with you, first and greatest commandment, to love you with all their heart, mind, and soul, God. Everything within them, and then it will just manifest itself outside of them and everything they do and everything they say they can't help but that love relationship that love flow will just come out of them because all they do is get their heart right with you today God we pray for that Jesus Jesus name Jesus name I want us to be careful I don't want us to move quickly right now